Welcome to PNCC Speak, the language of executives. I'm Nell McCormack Abom, alongside my co-host Jim Hohen, Central Pennsylvania Regional President of PNC Bank. Thanks, Nell. Great to be here. PNCC Speak, the language of executives, is a podcast that features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward-thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. And that's exactly why today we have with us Sean Clare. He's Executive Vice President of Sales for Clare Global, a technology company specializing in live production services and integrated permanent technology solutions. Sean's focus since 2010 has been on business development and growth. He played a key role as Clare Global diversified both in market and in product offerings, adding backline, IT systems, and community communications across the corporate, festival, and broadcast markets. He's on a first-name basis with some of the world's greatest musical entertainers, and we're thrilled to have him in the studio of C-Speak today with us. Welcome, Sean. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Hey, Sean, the, the history of Clear Global is fascinating. You know, it starts off with your grandfather and your great-uncle um, being a local sound producer, and I think the big break was with uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons when they just did an awesome job from them. And now you're an international industry-leading sound and live production leader uh, in the industry. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, once again, how did that possibly happen? Sure. Well, there are things that have stayed the same, and then there's things that have changed drastically. And I'd say the same. You're talking about my my grandfather and his brother. The things that have stayed the same is the need to say yes. So when Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons rolled through, they got to the next city. They were not happy with the sound. They called the Clare brothers, and the Clare brothers said, yes, we can get in a van. We can meet you at the next city, and then we can stay with you along the tour. And that concept was novel at the time, carrying production so that you have consistency. And now, fast forward many, many years, We've watched major transformations, and a lot of that's driven by technology. But it is it really is a place where it used to be just all about the music. Then you watched it change to the spectacle, and now the experience is paramount. And you watch promoters and producers and artists pushing the boundaries to make those experiences happen. Well, before we go too much further, I, I, I have to ask you, do you ever just like step back and pinch yourself and say, oh my gosh, you know, Bruce Springsteen, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, the, the, the names and the artists that you support – I mean, is it is it just gets surreal at moments? Yeah, I mean, I try to do that often. That That's an important thing, I think, to do in life in general is to take a step back and just enjoy the fact that you're getting to do what you're doing. What I think is really cool, too, is what you said, which was the power of yes. Mm -hmm. If you're going to have a global company, if you're going to believe that you're creating the next kind of live performance that people are going to experience, you have to be willing to take a risk, right? Because you've got to learn the technology. You might be developing the technology, your own company. But it starts with leadership that says, we can do that. Kind of a mission impossible. Yeah. And when you look at, at you know, our vision statement, boldly advancing the entertainment experience, that boldly advancing is and, and, you know, admitting, hey, risk is important to being able to push the envelope. And I think the key is you have to find people that feel comfortable in that sort of culture. 
And that's the trick. <laughs> so, so culture and, and, and value and mission are so much always tied up. Can you talk a little bit about what the, the value proposition for Claire Global you know, as a leader in the industry is to the artist? Sure. Well, when you're a, when you're a small team, it's relatively easy to create a culture that, that's consistent because, you know, your, your um, partners are next to you. You're, you're all working side by side. And as you grow internationally in size and numbers – it is important to be able to, you know, clearly articulate that and communicate it often so that the rest of the team is coming along with you. But for us, it's about people who are aspirational and want to work on aspirational projects. You really have to get up in the morning and have it not be about punching the clock, but being part of your lifestyle. And when you find people that commit their lives to this industry, that's when you really excel. Well, I think it's important for people to recognize, too, this is a family-owned enterprise. So it started with that incredible work ethic of your family members, and then it grew from there. But now, just to give it a global perspective, you're in, uh, what is it, five different continents or five continents. It's only, who are you missing? Sure. I mean, we're not in Antarctica, and I think we're not in Africa. But, but you have those aspirations to I get mean, there? It, when the time is right. I mean, it's about finding the right people. But to your point, I, I was... Uh, I had a call this morning with our Japanese partner at 7.30, and they said, hey, thank you for starting your day. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be talking, but actually I was, you know, with the Middle Eastern team and, and, you know, five in the morning and talking with some of our European counterparts. So it it starts early and it goes late when you're a global company. Well, you also have 1,100 employees at this point, yeah. and that's around the globe, yeah. right? But talk a little bit, too, about your in, uh, introduction to this industry. Sure. I think one of the things we find, Jim, with family-owned companies is that they start young. Their yeah. children are very involved. You were a teenager sweeping production floors where they were building these sets. You went on to tour with the police for a couple of years early on in your career. How do those experiences, understanding intimately the family business model, the work ethic, the values, Jim, and you were just talking about. Sure. How has that affected your leadership style within this company? Right. Well, it is important to our family that we start early and we really understand the value of the business. And so, to your point, I mean, that starts with washing the windows and mowing the lawns and sweeping the floors. But those are all the activities. But the important part is along that path, you're getting to know everybody that you work with. And that's the important piece where we see businesses run into struggles is when all of a sudden the shareholders don't have the relationship with the, the people that they're working alongside anymore. And so we want to make sure the members of the Claire family early on realize this is a business about people, not about distribution checks and profits. Being a family-owned business, how strategically has that differed? Do you see yourselves versus maybe others in the industries or even other industries in terms of how you look at things, whether, you know, is it a long-term perspective or, you know, What's what's the key philosophy and the advantages of the family mm -hmm. business? Yeah, I I mean, I only know looking at things long term. I mean, my father set an example for that about it's it's not about quarterly profits. It's not about making some sort of metric for the end of the year. We really sit down as a family and as a company, and we look at the next ten years, the next twenty years. What what are trends? What are opportunities that we see? Uh, across the globe, and we we think about the incremental steps to get there. I think it's the the age old adage: 
eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, we don't sit down and figure out how we can get it all done this year. We sit down and we think about the incremental steps that when we sit there 10, 20 years from now, when we look back, you know, you're always more amazed at what it is you got accomplished when you do it that way. How do you manage the family part of that? You know, whether it's brothers, in-laws, <laughs> you know, if you're a family business like that, when you have tensions, if you disagree on the direction of the company in a particular market mm -hmm. or a sector of music or entertainment that you want to get into, how do you keep that from becoming an emotional sibling rivalry kind of thing? Sure. I mean, I think... a, a Something that's important to know about our company, I don't know if this applies to others, but the the people we work alongside in the business are just as much family as the family members. So my brother and I might have some tension, but, you know, we all as members of the company have tension as we're pushing to progress along a, a path of, of development. So it's just as often, I mean, Todd Hudson is our VP of operations. I think all businesses need a healthy tension between sales and operations. And so Todd's like a brother to me. I mean, he's he's like an older brother and we're, we are going back and forth on how to do it best as often as my brother, my actual brother and I are. You know, how have those relationships helped you? Because clearly we just went through the pandemic. There's been live live music, live entertainment basically shut down. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, walk me through a little bit about, you know, how you handled that crisis management, how relationships and strategically, you know, how you position yourself from that. Sure. So, I mean, first, yes, we experienced a tremendous crisis. The important piece we honed in on quickly is you have to have a belief that it's that we're going to come out the other end and the industry is going to be there again. And so we actually spent a good amount of time sitting down and saying, okay, why is this industry going to come back? And we came across, look, we're a gregarious species. We are driven as human beings across the globe to co-locate and have these shared experiences. This will come back. And so once you decide this, it's coming back, then it's, what do you want to be when it comes back? How do you want to, to be there for your clients, for the marketplace? And for us, being so person-centric, it was how do we keep as much of this team together as possible while we weather the storm? And to that extent, we are incredibly blessed to have the, the relationships and the, the friendships and the partnerships that we have with banks, you know, and to, to help us through that time. How do you find people? Because that seems to be, uh, yeah, Jim, the biggest That's thing that industries say. Talent, finding that sure. talent. And what is it? Uh, I think one of the things you said is our differentiator is personal relationships. Uh, how do you find the people and how do you specifically nurture sure. that kind of relationship with your employees? Yeah. So we try to keep it simple. Um, so we were blessed to have an, in, an, an incredible number of A players on our team. And what we do is we create a culture that says, hey, we, you're an A player. Go find people like you. So we, it isn't a function that just sits there in HR. The whole company constantly has their head on a swivel. And you'd be amazed. You know, somebody's doing a project in this foreign country or at this festival, and, and they see somebody who has tremendous talent. 
they're being, you know, introduced to the company so that we can hire them instantly because everybody knows we're, we're biased to be hiring those A players. And then when you have the right people on the bus, it's resourcing them properly. And, and that's the job of executive leadership is to sit down and make sure you have the money, you have the equipment, you have the resources so that these A players can just run. And, and that's what we do. The value proposition and culture that you talked about you know, with all the your employees, your partners, your associates, I don't say employees because, you know, they, as you mentioned before, yeah. their family and, and the rest of that. But how does how does that culture, your your core vision translate across different, I would say, countrywide or, or cultures across the world? Is it does it flow well? Is it something you have to work on with increased focus? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective, and again, I don't know if this is true for other companies, but when you are dealing with the highest performers in the world, aspirational people, technicians, I mean, it starts at the artist. I mean, in order to be Beyonce, you have to have incredible talent, incredible work ethic, and and be, you know, biased to action, right? So you have to surround her with a team that's doing the, the same thing. And from my perspective, when you find those people, it isn't – you know, you don't need a, a tremendous amount of management oversight. They, they are thoroughbreds and you, you let them run. And what I've found is when you find them in America doing American tours, the, the same sort of things are true about A players when you go elsewhere in the world. They're, they're all biased to action incredible integrity and they're they're going to have a work ethic that that's going to get the job done and get it done well. You're the sales man. You're the one who goes around the globe trying to get business and I don't think I don't know how hard you have to work because you guys have earned a tremendous reputation. But one of the things Jim and you know we've talked about some of the concerts we've gone to. I saw Lady Gaga the Chromatica Ball. Mm. And I was in the nosebleed section of National Stadium in Washington, and the sound was as crisp and clear as if I were right down on the floor sure. with the other very fortunate people. Yeah. But the spectacle of it, the set, the pyrotechnics, but in essence, when you go there, it is that total experience. But if it sounds terrible, sure. you are going to be upset yeah. because you know what she sounds like or whoever the artist is, and you want it to sound the same way. That's the value proposition you have to probably sell to these artists. Sure. Otherwise, you don't keep them. And How deliver. You, and deliver consistently. Exactly. Right? How do you do it? What What is the difference? How do you get that kind of high-level performance? This is high stakes. You, it costs a lot of money for people to buy a ticket to these things. Sure. And it's all word of mouth. Oh, my God, you've got to see that person live, right, and Jim? You're the, and you're the critical cog between sure. going into the microphone and coming out of the speaker. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, th I think, you know, honing in on something there, the key thing to – and it's, it does keep circling back to A players, right? But, you know, the clients, they have these incredibly high expectations. So there really is no tolerance when you get to this level for anything short of exceptional. So it is, it is finding people that understand, truly understand that client expectation. And that doesn't happen overnight. We invest heavily in training. We invest heavily in ongoing employee development so that people are, are 
ready when they they hit that that level. And then the other piece is a company that really understands that. I mean, people will often say when we're recruiting somebody new who maybe hasn't worked in the industry and they'll watch, you know, how we interview, the questions we ask and they'll say, you know, you really painted a really difficult picture. Like they they might not join the company. It's like, look, you have to be, you know, honest to a fault when you're recruiting people in so they really know because we're, we're not changing the industry. The industry expects, to your point, the, that sort of high performance. We need to paint for them an accurate representation. And the, and the people who are aspirational, that are A players, they'll rise to that. They'll come and they'll excel. And it's when you, you lie to yourself or lie to people that are coming in, that's when you fall short. So, so Nell and I are hearing about partnerships and collaboration within the company. But we also know, you know, for those of you who are out there who haven't heard about this, Rock Lidditz, that partnerships and collaboration across different companies is mm-hmm. so important. Talk to us a little bit about that in the global value proposition there. Yeah, that, that's a concept we really stumbled across about 10 years ago. And we were talking about long-term you know, vision and whatnot. And we came across the, the concept, putting it simply, that if you co-locate companies that, that are you know, the best in the business at what they do. We're the best in the business at audio. And Tate Towers is the best at the business at scenic and automation and staging. And you start to build a community, a village of these A players. The end result is is that much more exceptional. And and so, you know, being part of now that Rocklidditz community has done tremendous things for, for our company and, and our brand represent, you know, uh, reputation in the industry. Well, when we first started talking about having you as a guest on the program, one of the things that Jim and I were both saying is, you wonder if you're not familiar, why Lidditz? It's in Lancaster County, which is a lovely county, but it is a small, little, quaint community. Actually, I think it was voted, wasn't it? Um, one coolest of USA's coolest best town. coolest towns, <laughs> yeah. small towns, coolest small towns. But why Lidditz? And why have you not moved to Los Angeles, sure. Austin, Nashville, uh, New York, any of the places that are known more as hotbeds of music, New Orleans, for instance? Sure. What is it about central Pennsylvania? the competitive advantages for both you, for your clients, or the talent pool? You know, what is it that keeps you here? And then how, for folks who are interested, do you see Lidditz still fitting into your global growth? Sure. I mean, with the major investment in the Rock Lidditz concept, it it really is solidifying Lidditz as the epicenter of, of live global touring for decades to come because, and, you know, maybe for another podcast where we can dive deeply or, or inviting Andrea Shirk, who is the CEO of Rock Lidditz, would Fabulous. be phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. she is a brilliant mind and is really responsible for, for driving some of what I'm going to talk about here. But it is, it is a well-thought-out production community that really adds efficiency to the, the production and pre-production phase of getting a tour out the door. And the the why Lidditz, I mean, it, it started with my grandpa and, and his brother being from Lidditz, but why we stayed in Lidditz is the, the tremendous people that are in central Pennsylvania and Lancaster County and, and Lidditz in general. I mean, the work ethic, the integrity, the, the drive. I mean, there is a tremendous modesty 
to to people that are here. I mean, they're incredibly unassuming, but there is some of the best talent electronically, mechanically, and going back to the saying yes. I mean, being surrounded by people that when the impossible curveball comes through the door, they you get around the table and they say, yeah, we can do this. Starting with yes. I mean, that is that is why we don't move. We We are a group of people that start with yes. You know, one of the things that just popped into my mind is you talked about uh, in the interview process being being very real with the candidate and letting Mm -hmm. them know uh, the downsides, I guess, or the difficulty or the expectation you have at the level of work they would do. When someone doesn't meet that standard, particularly I want to talk about management, Mm -hmm. someone that you've entrusted, how do you handle that decision to let them go and how do you then rebound and realize what you did wrong in hiring them to begin sure. with or training or mentoring them and all that kind of stuff. Just give some insight into yeah. that. That's the hardest part. So I'm going to throw out, you know, two, I guess, catchphrases or words, but I mean, it is ruinous empathy is, is one of the things that's an important concept of this. And the other is radical candor. So an important part that when I talked about the interview process, it, it's not just in the interview process. In our company, what we want to do is Anytime there's there's a problem, the the people are very comfortable communicating that, like directly with with radical candor. We we need to be a company, and so to that extent, if you don't have that in the interview process, the people that come on are going to get chewed up and spit out anyway. I mean, it is hard coded in our culture what is required to make these shows happen. So radical candor is an important part of that. And then the other piece is, let's say somebody does join that that doesn't fit along the way. Some companies or cultures will allow for, uh, oh, we're going to talk about this person over here, but not tell them directly or or kind of skirt around it. What we've found is you have to be direct. You're, you, are, you, you, need to be, you need to have empathy, but you also it, – it is, it is not okay to let somebody uh, exist and not be aware that there's an issue. So it is, it is having that conversation constructively, but – being very direct and honest with where it is and, and finding a path forward. I love that ruinous empathy. I love that too. I'm going yeah. to take I that do. back to my And I've actually well. borrowed that. I've borrowed that, you know, being transparent, a, a leader at Tate Towers, Adam Davis, he exposed me to that concept. I mean, they Tate is another company that does that incredibly well of sitting down and really, you know, talking about things as they are. So we've talked about leadership. We've talked about strategy. Uh, let's let's get our eyes on the horizon a little bit. So what's what's the next big thing coming down the pike? Uh, I mean, in what country? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that the next big thing for Claire is we we are proud to have a, a global touring presence. That you know the the top fifty grossing tours of the world. We, we work with many of them and we travel everywhere. But if you look at our global footprint, um, our national presences are a place where we see a lot of opportunity. So Germany is one that, that is most recent. We've spent a lot of time over the last year 
putting together a strategy because Germany has an incredibly large touring market, a national touring market, speaking German, you know, to in German arenas and they will they'll work all year long. And, you know, we've been with the Rolling Stones and ACDC and, and Bruno Mars that tour through, but that real national presence. So we, we made an acquisition in Berlin. There's an acquisition in, in Buttrop, Germany, where these these companies are joining the team and now will have a very serious national presence. And I think that's what you're going to see Claire Global doing over the next decade is very seriously looking at the top touring markets in the world and having not just a global touring presence, but a national presence. More growth to it in Lancaster County uh, in terms of the rock lit it's set there. I mean, you have the room, the space to grow. Do you foresee more uh, development happening there? Sure. I think our goal is for there always to be a shovel in the ground. So whenever a project ends, you know, we just finished with Studio Two, which, you know, we're very proud. It was very busy this year. Lots of artists coming through. You know, we're breaking ground on the building that's adjacent to it that'll have a school present. And, you know, very closely after that, there's a pod four location that and the goal is constantly have a shovel in the ground and be planning the next thing because there is just tremendous demand and opportunity for this, you know, campus concept. One quick question, and Jim and I are kind of putting you on the spot just real quickly, but can you give us an example of where a client had one of those, whether it was an impossible or it was just going to be difficult, but you felt that your reputation was on the line you needed to deliver. Can you give an example of that for folks? I mean, it's so impressive when you just run through the names of the kind of artists sure. and the level of talent you've worked with. But can you give an example of why they come to you guys, where you really made a difference? Sure. Um one of the best examples, I think, as I was kind of thinking through your question as you were asking it, um, we have an example. I believe this was 2018, and I, I just I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I sat down to have dinner with the family. Actually, there was one of my colleagues from the UK was sitting with us. Phone rings. Excuse me. I have to get up and take it. And it was the production manager for Jay-Z. And they were having tremendous challenges getting their tour launched. And they said, look... He said, I mean, we, we have a relationship with him, worked on many things. He said, look, I know this is impossible, but I have to ask anyway, or I think it's impossible. Um, it was a Wednesday night, and he said, we need to be in full production rehearsals in Los Angeles on Sunday. And the audio company we're working with just isn't making it. Can you do this? And I took a moment and paused and um, thought through it. And said, um, you know, I, I need to make two phone calls and I'm going to call you right back. I made those two phone calls. I called him back and said, yes, we can do it. And at that point, you know, and this is, um, you know, one of the challenges in family dynamics with a business like this. I, I sat down and I said, I, I have to go back to the office because our team in Lidditz is about to come back to the office, the team in Nashville and the team in Los Angeles at the same time. And three of our shops in tandem worked on the solution to be able to put a full 360 in the round audio system with the boards and monitor package together so that Jay-Z was able to walk into the room on Sunday. Now, this is across the country for some of the equipment that has to get there. It's halfway across the country for some of the equipment, and some of it is there in Los Angeles. But all three of those shops worked in tandem to pull together what is seemingly an impossible task. And those those are the examples that really you know, make me proud and make us proud to be part of the company we're a part of. And why they're number one. And the power and the commitment to yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
Mic yeah. drop, right? Well, good luck with that. And uh, thank you so much for coming on C-Speak today and sharing your insights and some of your experiences, as we said, with some of the biggest talents out there and delivering consistently very well. Thank you so much, Sean. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thank you, Sean. I'm Nell McCormack, Avon. And I'm Jim Hohen, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Sean Clare, Executive Vice President of Sales for Clare Global. And we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us for this episode of PNC C-Speak. You can find more episodes of C-Speak at witf.org slash C-Speak and on your favorite podcast platforms. As Sean said, be present and also say yes. Yes.